Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, Simon Hughes here and Simon Mann. It's the analyst inside cricket. This week, we're talking balls. Well, I know that people probably always think we talk balls, but this week it's serious. It's about cricket balls, the use of different coloured balls and how they will impact on the future of the game. We've had Joss Butler, amongst others, saying this week, Simon, that it could eventually become one format cricket. We could just have white ball cricket. There's been a lot of explosiveness in the game this week or recently with sixes flying everywhere. 34 sixes in that T20 game at Eden Park. Teams getting close to 200. It's becoming a bit of a bat fest, which in a way is is putting pressure on test cricket because people are seeing all this excitement and then wondering, has test cricket got a future? Well, Butler is saying that he could see the game becoming a one-format game, that test cricket dies, that one day international cricket dies, he says, soon or in 15 or, or 20 years, whether he was just sort of slightly talking off the top of his head. But you know, clearly the challenge is there for test match cricket. We know it because it, it's, it's something that's been on the agenda for a while now. Now, something has happened in Australian cricket, Australian domestic cricket, which has just made people say, hold on a second, is this a way of just changing the balance? Yeah, we've got a story here from actually the Australian newspaper uh, from our friend Peter Lawler, a very good journalist who we've had on this show before, who's saying that former Test players are backing the use of the English-style Dukes cricket ball with Ed Cowan, the former Australian left-hander who's still playing for New South Wales, suggesting it is one way to help Test cricket survive by eradicating dreary matches where batsmen dominate and bowlers struggle. They've been using the Duke's ball, interestingly, which of course is an English-made ball in the Sheffield Shield the last couple of years, and they've noticed that scores are coming down and there are results. Instead of contrivance and declarations and boring score draws or board draws, they're actually having good contests between bat and ball using the Duke's ball instead of, of course, of the Australian-made kookaburra, which is a very dominant ball, not only in Australia, but also in white ball cricket around the world. But they're just finding the Duke's ball is, is much more interesting to play with and even getting batsmen saying that. Well, one of the features of the Ashes series was big scores being racked up. Well, I said one of the features, big scores being racked up by Australia, not necessarily by England. And although it was great for Australia, they won back the Ashes and Steve Smith had a, a fantastic time and then they got their, their quick bowlers going, it wasn't that exciting. There was the Melbourne Test match. It was not a very exciting game of cricket. People were leaving 
before the end on the, on the final day. Australia batting out for a draw, England had the better of the game. But it, it, it wasn't dynamic, exciting cricket. And actually, not the sort of cricket that, generally speaking, we have become used to in England. So in, in a way, you could argue that we have the solution here because we use the Duke sport and the bowlers are in the game and people come and watch test cricket in this country, don't they? And uh, people might be wondering, what, what is the difference between the Duke's ball and the, and the kookaburra? We've talked about it a bit before, but I should just explain that the Duke's ball is a handmade ball with a very, very intricate handmade seam, which is very proud, stands up above the, the main part of the leather. That's used by the, the faster bowlers as a rudder to help ball to swing. Uh, also, they apply a layer of grease to the, to the leather as well, which, which protects the ball from letting moisture in and enables the bowlers to polish it better as well. So it is a much better ball for bowlers to use, and it stays in shape throughout an innings, whereas a kookaburra ball generally falls apart. It gets scuffed up, the seam gets very flat... It doesn't shine very well. And so you find bowlers are pretty much impotent in test cricket with a kookaburra ball or indeed in white ball cricket, which is almost exclusively a kookaburra domain. And you know, people talk about the, the flat pitches we've seen in the Ashes, like the MCG, for instance, and the drop-in pitch. And, oh dear, you know, well, a terrible job the groundsman did. I do believe that balls have as much of an impact on the outcome as the pitch itself because you often hear people say that the pitch has gone to sleep and I believe often it's the ball that's gone soft rather than the pitch changing any nature I mean a pitch doesn't change that much over a couple of days but the ball if it's a kookaburra especially can get soft can lose its shine it can lose the condition of its leather it can lose its prominent seam and it's just it becomes a piece of rope to bowl with which batsmen can just whack around anywhere so I think the Duke's ball is a, is a very good story to follow and and it really does need to be used more widely. So how significant is it then that Australian players are actually saying come on actually the Duke's ball makes for more interesting cricket and they've just won the Ashes using the Kookaburra ball you think well that's that's fine how significant is it that Australian players are starting to say it? Well, I think it's very significant and it's interesting to hear the views of the owner of Dukes, that's a, a factory making cricket balls in East London, in Walthamstow. Dilip Jajodia has been running Dukes now for 20-odd years and he's very proud of the fact that he's managed to get the Australians to use the Dukes ball. He's out in Australia at the moment supervising how it's going and he's very encouraged. It's encouraging that, you know, former test players and, you know, batsmen are saying that it's good for the game. The gist of it is that they're saying that it's a far better ball. It uh, provides a better balance between bat and ball. It lasts better, the, you know, the players. And it, what, it, what they're saying is that it produces sort of 300 versus 280 versus 280 versus 260 or whatever. And it's, you know, you get a result. Everybody's in the game. And can you explain why that would be? Why is the difference between... Well, because, because the Duke's ball is swinging. It actually moves, whereas the Kookaburra doesn't move. And um, the, the Duke's ball, obviously, is used in England. Um, yeah. And I know you, you put this layer of grease on it in, in England, which helps it to swing. What about in Australia? Is the ball different there, that your Duke's ball? Well, fundamentally the same, but it hasn't got grease in it. But, again... The swing, apart from, you know, our conditions where we could shine up one side a lot more than the other and so on, but it's the shape that seems to be making this happen, you know, because they've got, in the past, they've just been using a flat machine stitch seam. So all of a sudden they've got a a rudder, you know, the the hand stitch seam, 
uh, and and they work on one side as hard as they can and of course they're getting the desired effect the ball swings and it keeps on swinging for quite a long time which is something alien to them you obviously want to get it introduced into all test cricket as well what's the next step or what are the next steps to make that happen well Simon, I think basically it's going to be player power, frankly. I mean, there's a lot of politics involved. You know, Kookaburra are quite a powerful setup. They are Australian, of course. Um, you know, they don't mention, of course, that they own readers in England. You know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't think they were selling anything in England. But, you know, but we're not allowed to go and sell balls in their, in their market. But anyway, they're quite, they're quite well connected. Uh, you know, strangely enough, the one negative uh, comment was from uh, Lyon, uh, because apparently he was a bit fed up. He didn't get out to bowl because the, the, the quick bowlers got all the wickets. Uh, but then when you investigate, Mr. Lyon is a Kookaburra player, you know, so that, that's, what, that's the sort of connections they've got, you know, so they can use that. But no, I think generally if the players and there's increasing uh, opinion and also, you know, at grassroots level, I spent a couple of days going around some schools and uh, some of the Premier League sites in, in Brisbane, and all of them are saying the same thing. They're all of the opinion that the ball is better for cricket, it lasts better, it produces better value for money. So if this carries on, I think the momentum will hopefully you know, push it over the edge. But I think at the moment, the sort of idea was originally to try and get the Australian players used to uh, you know, a ball that swings. And I think what they're saying now is it's making the batsmen just generally it's good for cricket, you know, play straight and play play better cricket rather than go out there and just whack the thing, you know, which is what they were doing. Can you see it actually having an impact on the future of Test cricket? This is what Ed Cowan was saying. That Yes, I think so. When they were condemning the Melbourne pitch, I said it's not just the pitch, it's the ball as well, and the two go together. And if your pitch is dead, then you've got to have a ball that offers some, some movement in the air. I mean, you know, if it's not going to do anything off the pitch then at least you've got to have a ball that does something in the air. And I suggested that, you know, the Duke's ball would have possibly produced some better cricket. And, uh, you know, quite a few people seem to agree with that. So I think, you know, it's all early days yet because they seem to just accept this. And they're kind of saying that these drop-in pitches are no good for test cricket and test cricket's dying. You know, it's a bit like saying that there isn't a white ball that lasts 50 overs. Who have they asked? You know, that's, that's what I say to them. And we so, so, so your ne- your next objective, if you, once you get this over the line, is to try and convince the ICC to use the Duke's white ball, which yes. which will be also a better balance between bat and ball. You think? Yes, definitely. And how are you getting That's on definitely. with that? I mean, you're you're planning to see the ICC and and convince them, are you? Well, yes, carrying on. But you see, the problem is, Simon, that there is absolutely no ability to get it into any sort of tournament because everybody works on the World Cup cycle of four years. So one cycle ends and then they start the next cycle. And, you know, the coaches and so on are all a bit precious, aren't they? Oh, you know, our players must use the, the World Cup ball. And officially, it's not the official World Cup ball, but they, by, by nature of the fact that it's been used for, you know, about 18 years now, the last time they used ours was in 99. Uh, and so it just, just goes on and on and on. So I'm trying to break the cycle. I'm, I'm having some success because... West Indies are going to use our ball in the triangular series against England Lions and Sri Lanka, which is going to start any time soon now. And then ECB have made a decision to use uh, Dukes White in the second eleven competition, one ball for half the season. What sort of effect would it have on white ball cricket then if, if your ball is used? Well, I think that a ball which
which lasts 50 overs is it will be better having two balls is is a is is been ludicrous in my view because both balls won't behave exactly the same and i think that because the ball has a better shape and will move a bit more it'll make the batsman a bit more honest you know i think the scoring rates in australia last year in the sheffield shield came down uh, you know, according to the plan, I think they were feeling that there were too many runs per wicket. It came down in accordance with what they expected. And I think the same thing will happen with the white ball. Now, everybody wants the white ball game to be, a, you know, bash, 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 and sixes being hit and so on. But I think bowlers as a breed might disappear if this carries on. Well, that's Dilip Jadogia, who is the head of Duke's cricket balls. Of course, he's got a vested interest in this. It's his company. But he also... Just listening to him there, it seems to have the, the good of the game at heart as well, that the game has got to be improved. I suppose if, you know, if, if the game sort of falls apart and dies, there's not much interest, then his company dies as well because people you know, just won't be using balls at all because they won't be playing cricket. So that, you know, there, there is a self-interest there, but yeah. also it's, it's about making the game as entertaining and therefore drawing in as many people as possible. And there'd be mixed feelings about this you know, for, for several reasons. One is that they'll think he does have a, a very strong agenda. He wants his company to be more prominent in the world game. But I think also that, that people will see it uh, in, a, in a more altruistic way, hopefully. Those who don't want to just see batsmen dominating bowlers all the time. I mean, you know, he says there that there might not be any bowlers in the future. I, I wouldn't want to be a bowler now. I, why would you? It's it's complete sort of hiding to nothing. You're, you're just cannon fodder. And it's because, mainly, the bowlers haven't got a tool to work with. Jimmy Anderson, in England, he's an absolute maestro uh, on virtually any surface. And it really examines a batsman's technique and makes the, the game much more fascinating that a wicket could fall at any moment. As soon as you watch a bowler bowling on a flat pitch with a kookaburra ball, which is 25 overs old, it just becomes one-way traffic. So, although I know there'll be people saying, oh, we want to see the sixes and fours and we want to see batsmen dominate, I don't think that is the majority. I think cricket's great attraction is that fine balance between bat and ball, the potential for a wicket to fall at any time, really exercising a batsman's skills to the ultimate. There's no doubt in my mind that a a test match or a first-class match where 320 plays 300 in the first innings plays 260 and then whatever in, in the second innings is a far more interesting game, generally speaking, than one where you get 450 plays, 410 in the first innings. Now, the one uh, area of the game where they're not so happy with the Dukes, funnily enough, is the spinners. Nathan Lyon is one who, admittedly, is a kookaburra representative, so he's going to probably talk up the kookaburra ball anyway. But I've talked to a few other spinners, one of whom was Mason Crane, and they prefer the kookaburra ball to bowl with. They think they can get hold of the seam better and, and impart more spin on it. But they are few and far between, the majority of cricketers around the world do prefer the Duke's ball. It just feels better in your hand. It feels like a better cricket ball. It looks like a better cricket ball. And it it provides more opportunities for bowlers to take wickets. Well, I'm a big fan of of using the Duke's ball. I just think you've got to get a, a contest between bat and ball, which we certainly didn't see in Auckland last Wednesday. We can talk about that after the break. Welcome back. Well, England said goodbye to the Trans-Tasman T20 series. A bit of a mouthful to say. And from now on, it's going to be one-day international cricket and then test matches. I'm off to New Zealand tomorrow for the first one-day international in Hamilton next week. There's been some talk this week about 
the match at Eden Park last Wednesday, whether it's good for cricket or bad for cricket. My feeling about Eden Park, I've, I've actually seen two of the best white ball matches in my life at Eden Park in the last World Cup. There was that one wicket win for New Zealand against Australia and then that dramatic Grant Elliott six that won New Zealand the semi-final against South Africa at Eden Park. My feeling about Eden Park is you don't want to play there every week or on a ground that size every week, but it just provides a different challenge for the players when they get there. OK, it is unusual. The boundaries are incredibly small, straight. So, yeah, don't play there week in, week out. But every now and again, a game there at Eden Park holds a certain fascination and the players have to adapt. That's my feeling about it. I mean, other people say, no, it's ridiculous. It's, it's like playing on a, on a postage stamp. And they have changed it round, actually. It used to be on a, on a sort of diagonal, didn't it? Now the, the boundaries are basically the rugby touch lines. It does seem very strange when you go there. How can cricket be played on a ground like this? But I think it's OK as long as lots of grounds aren't like it. Well, I think you have to adapt to any situation. And actually, adding to your two great matches you saw at Eden Park, I saw a fantastic one as well, 1992 World Cup, the mm. semi-final, New Zealand-Pakistan, which New Zealand should have won and should have got into the final. And Pakistan stole it at the last minute with an incredible innings by Inzamal Haq, who made great use of short leg side boundaries to hit 50 off about 30 balls. That was when the ground was at a different dimension, wasn't yeah. it? When the, when the pitch was at a different angle. And, and the New Zealanders actually in that tournament, and they did it for the first time at Eden Park, was opened with a spinner, Dipak Patel, and had, again, made use of the strange orientation of the pitch by positioning boundary fields in slightly unusual places obviously only two boundary fields allowed in those first 10 overs but generally you have to show a bit more ingenuity on a ground like that and actually if there is a world cup match at the olympic stadium in london in 2019 which there's likely there will be they're talking about a couple of possible games there this summer 2018 though i haven't heard officially whether they've been organised yet, but they were certainly hoping to stage a couple of games this year. But certainly if they play a World Cup game 2019 at the Olympic Stadium, that will have sort of similar tight boundaries. You just have to adapt to the, the situation. There were 34 sixes in that T20, which you know is a bit repetitive, I suppose, but I, I guess it does make for an interesting spectacle. It doesn't happen every time. No, uh, Australia chasing a, down a record score and you always felt they were going to get there as well. I mean, it is an odd sort of game, but then T20 lends itself to that. What, what do you think of Trevor Bayliss's comments uh, this weekend and saying that 2020 internationals should not really happen, apart from perhaps six months before a World Cup? He said, if you're going to have a World Cup every four years, fine, but just play T20 internationals in the six months leading up to it. And basically, T20 is a franchise game. Well, I completely agree with him. Uh, and I've always thought that it was a mistake to make... T20 internationals part of a every summer schedule. Obviously, T20 is a brilliant format for domestic cricket and club cricket and village cricket, pub cricket. It's fantastic. But I think for internationals to have that huge expense of wheeling out these star players to only perform for 20 overs or bowl four overs or bat for three overs or whatever it is, I think it's just a waste, actually, of resources. You want to see these guys really explore and expand their repertoires. These guys are brilliant cricketers. I don't want to see Joss Butler smack 40 off 20 balls. I want to see him score 120 in you know 20 overs or 25 overs. So I, I think he's right. And yes, you want the T20 World Cup every four years because it's a great spectacle. But I wouldn't have T20 nationals at all, except as you say, as a lead up to to a T20 World Cup. But how, how does 
Josh Butler smashing it over for 20 overs. How's that different from well, playing franchise cricket? Well, I think you have to, in a 50-over game, you have to pace yourself. You have to... I know, but you should, well, my point more. is, you see Josh Butler playing in for, for a franchise in the IPL where he goes out and, and, and no, hits I just think internationals it. have a, a, a greater status right. and there is more resource put into an international match from advertising, marketing, broadcast... Uh, input at the start, radio, whoever is, is, is covering that game. Obviously, there's this expectation, you're re- representing your country. In a way, T20 is a lottery, isn't it, as a game? There, the, the, the best team doesn't win as often as in ODIs or, or tests because it's a longer format of the game and quality will out in the end. But in T20s, it is more luck. And one guy playing an incredible innings can come off. And I don't think that is quite, you know, it doesn't have quite as much credibility as a result if it's an international T20. The only problem with that is that, in a way, the genie's out of the bottle, isn't it? The spectators who go along to watch their international cricket say, well, why am I being made to watch a one-day international when, you know, last season I was watching a, a T20 match? You think of the crowds in New Zealand, good crowd in at Hamilton today... Very good crowd at Eden Park last week. You wonder whether the One Day Internationals in New Zealand will have those sorts of crowds that we've had for the the T20s. I'm just thinking of New Zealand as an example because in a country like New Zealand, generally speaking, the crowds aren't very good. The Test match crowds, unless they're England supporters there, won't be huge, I imagine, although there is a a day-night Test match in Auckland and they're playing at a lovely ground in in Christchurch. They've probably got the right venue for that second Test match in in Christchurch. But generally speaking, the crowds aren't good and that's why you play T20. Well, that's why it was invented, in a way, to draw people in. And it's worked. But but it's put massive pressure on the one-day international 50-over format. And and in a way, as you say, the genie is out of the bottle. It's not too late to kind of gradually push it back in and try and focus on 50-over internationals and 20-over domestic competitions. Uh, talking of which, we should just mention, that the, you know, one of the other stories of the week, that Adil Rashid has decided to play white ball cricket only in England, which will mean he plays white ball cricket everywhere, I suppose. And uh, I, I wonder about that because, you know, the, the whole kind of fun of playing cricket, especially as a spinner, must be, A, to play when it's a third or fourth day pitch and you can get extra spin. And secondly, having men round the bat as well, having silly points and short legs and slips and stuff. So is he happy with the idea that from now on, having signed a white ball only cricket for, for, for Yorkshire, that he's going to be bowling with only men far flung round the boundary and he's only going to get 10 over spells at the most? It must be far more gratifying as a spinner to have pinned someone LBW rather than having caught on the long arm bound. Just because, in yeah. a way... You, you, you take your wickets, however, if they're not good enough or strong enough or they don't time it well enough to hit you over the rope when they're trying the big shot, that's fine. But I don't know, it must, must be something about witting a batsman, getting him caught at slip, short leg, LBW. Perhaps that's just an old-fashioned view. I don't know. I mean, perhaps we are just being old-fashioned about the way the game is going. I mean, do, you, do you think that more people will do what Rashid has done? I hope they don't because I think they'll lose the essential fascination of cricket. You know, I'm not saying that one-day cricket, especially 50-over cricket, hasn't got its intrigues and skills and, and, and more subtle talents, but I just think that playing a longer form of the game just explores more mental things as much as it does physical things and the way the pitch changes. Just the, the, the longer game, it, in the end, explores more about you as a person and a team's makeup 
than the hit and giggle of, of a 50 over or 20 over. And in the end, you play it for fun, don't you? I mean, although you're being paid good money and obviously Adil is, is earning very well in the various T20 franchises that he plays in, you want to have fun. You want to sort of exercise yourself a bit. I mean, I had this conversation with Kevin Peterson six or seven years ago. He said, oh, I'm just going to go off and play 50 over cricket and one day cricket and I'm turning my back on test cricket. And I said, well, I think you'll oh, hold on a sec. Hold on a second. Wasn't he, he, he was pushed out of test cricket, surely? Well, but this was before he was pushed out of test cricket. This was when he was starting to play in the IPL and he was really having fun with that. And he was sort of thinking... Do I really need Test cricket anymore? I just want to play fifty over. I just want to play twenty over. That's where the money is. That's where the excitement is. That's where the buzz is. And I, I sort of tried to argue with him and said, well, I think you're going to lose the fascination of developing your technique and evolving your game in the same way if you miss Test cricket. It's such a challenge all the time, and I, I think you'll miss that extra ingredient that Test cricket brings and having to constantly you know, reinvent your game and, and evolve and smooth and, and iron out the flaws, I think it, you'll lose a, a bit of, of sort of excitement and, and buzz about the game. But he, 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 he didn't listen. And my, one of my feelings about it is when, you, when you, you enjoy playing, don't you? If you're batting, you actually want to bat for, I mean, club well, look cricket. Look at Steve Smith. You want to bat for, you know, club cricket. You want to bat for an hour or an hour and a half. You don't want to bat for... Seven you balls. Me you bat for an hour and a half in club cricket. You bat. I wouldn't want to watch that. <laughs> well, you probably, God. you probably wouldn't. But what I'm saying, I'm just, I'm just thinking my own experience of playing cricket. You, you, in, the longer your innings when you're batting, the more enjoyable it is. It, okay, it's, it's a bit of fun sometimes. You go in at the end and you might hit a four and a six, but it, it's not as enjoyable as as seeing off the new ball and and developing your innings. And um, it must be like for a bowler as well. Yeah. Just just bowling four overs, it must you must feel actually quite unfulfilled. Well, I mean, you've, you've only just warmed up, haven't you? Practice. And one over spells, two over spells. Whatever happened to getting into rhythm and, and finding ways of uh, outwitting a batsman over a longer period? You know, using a couple of overs as a strategy to you know change the field round a bit and try and make him hit a ball in a different area or explore a different. Line. I mean, I remember Shane Warne, for instance, bowling at Mike Atherton in a, a Test series. And in the first test, I think it was at Lords, he bowled him behind his legs uh, with a ball, one of those sort of pit pocket deliveries, pits outside leg, bowled him as he went for the sweep. So Atherton thought, well, I, I don't want that to happen again. So he changed his guard and instead of middle and leg, he took leg stump so that he was blocking off that uh, opportunity for Shane Warne to bowl him around his legs. Well, Warne realised, saw his change his guard slightly and dangled a few more outside off stump where he wasn't quite over to it enough and got him caught at slip. So that's a wonderful evolution and you know progression of a batsman and a bowler trying to outwit each other over a test series. You don't get that in T20. Is it just fundamentally, though, about what people want to watch? If people just want to watch 2020, that is the way the game is going to go. And if people don't want to watch test cricket, then that's the way the game is going to go as well. It's, it is going to wither. Or is it about selling it selling it better and saying actually no this is a fantastic product go back to the start actually that if you do have that good contest between bat and ball and you do have exciting first class cricket test cricket people will come and watch that's the key to it a contest a contest between bat and ball and, and between two fairly equally matched countries you don't want a mismatch 
a, you know, a, a team that haven't been in Test cricket long or haven't got many resources, a sort of West Indies or something like that, against a team like, say, Australia, who are very well prepared and, and well financed and are expecting to to wipe the floor. You know, you you want a contest between two evenly matched teams with a ball, which encourages the batsmen and the bowlers. Well, I agree with that. We, we, you, you've got to find that that contest. And, and I think and that... people will watch that. You know, I think whether it's Test cricket or T20, if you get a really good contest, people will watch it. I don't think, I don't feel gloomy about the, the future of Test cricket like many people. Yes, we do need a Test Championship in the world to try and give some of these games a, a bit more meaning, a bit more context. But the key is to have good contests between bat and ball and between teams and then people will watch. Yeah. And go back to Melbourne and actually Sydney in the last Ashes series. I, I felt that, that the Ashes were over. And it did feel weird going to Melbourne, knowing the series was already over, Australia had won it. It was the MCG Test match on Boxing Day. There were you know 80,000 people there. And yet it wasn't a meaningless game, but it, it didn't have as much riding on it. So the, the Test Championship, for me, I've said it before, it can't come soon enough. And that is a way. You know, there has to be a way found to make Test cricket relevant and to give it that context but before then there's another one day series <laughs> India and South Africa have just finished a six match series and India well showing their their dominance in world cricket top of the test rankings top of the ODI rankings winning 5-1 but England are looking to set their stall out again in in one day international cricket against New Zealand first match in in Hamilton next Sunday uh, New Zealand have gone really well in their domestic season, their domestic international season. They've seen off Pakistan and they've seen off uh, West Indies in, in one-day cricket. Um, England are going to provide a, a decent test for them. That's actually the one, England's one strong suit at the moment, isn't it? And uh, good to see Owen Morgan's back to some runs in, in that last match, making a, a blistering 80. And, of course, Ben Stokes to come back yeah. at some stage. Who will he replace? That's going to be a, a talking point. I I sense he won't play in the first game, but he'll be there, he'll be there before long. Well, that's the, the issue we were talking about last summer. Is you know, how, how do you get Johnny Bairstow into the England one-day team? Well, eventually it was because Jason Roy lost form and was jettisoned. Because Roy's come back and done well, and Hales has got runs as well. So what are they going to do with Stokes? They'll have to find a place for him, having recalled him. I'm, I'm, I'm sure they will. They'll, they'll probably mix and match over the course of the, of the series. But you know, what is England's strongest one-day side there are lots of players looking to get in that one-day side, which is not necessarily the case in the Test match team. Two Test matches follow the five one-day internationals, and I'll be out there covering it for the BBC, and we'll be talking about it in future podcasts. Have a good trip. Safe travels. Speak to you next week. Indeed. Goodbye for now. Podcast Network.